Hey gang, it's Marcel. I'm going to tell you about today's sponsor, Bizarre Voice. Are you interested in collecting and displaying user-generated content like ratings, reviews, and customer photos on your brand's website, but you're not sure if it will be worth the effort or cost? Check out the Bizarre Voice ROI calculator to understand the impact user-generated content can have on your retail sales, both online and in-store. Estimate the increased revenue, conversion rate, SEO impact, and in-store sales you can expect using their full funnel content suite. Go to bizarrevoice.com slash ROI dash calculator for your company's personalized calculation. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Love in Action podcast. We are the only show that explores the powerhouse business principles of love and care for a competitive advantage. And glad you could join us. Spread the love by sharing this episode with a friend. And if you like the show, we would be grateful if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcast as well. So today, I want to talk to you about employee mental health and well-being. So as we pass the, the three-year mark uh, of this pandemic, you know, it's clear that employee mental health and well-being should be pretty high on the list of retention practices. There's been an, an increase in the belief that when you care for your employees' mental health and, and their well-being, you know, your company is going to have high employee retention. It's a known fact now, and that's really good for business. So to learn more about how mental health is helping businesses to function better, I'm going to be bringing in an executive from one of those high growth brands that we love to feature on the show because they closely align with the love in action message. So in a few minutes, I'm going to be speaking with Keith Nealon, chief executive officer of technology company Bizarre Voice. Bizarre Voice offers user generated content solutions for e-commerce. They help brands and retailers to create smarter shopper experiences across the entire customer journey. So when brands use Bizarre Voice, it drives their revenue, increases brand loyalty, and helps them to meet their customers where they're at. Founded in 2005, Bizarre Voice has been certified as a great place to work, not only in the US, but also in UK, Lithuania, India, and Australia. So Keith Nealon has over 25 years experience accelerating growth in global technology companies. He's a, a seasoned entrepreneur with demonstrated success across management, sales, marketing, services, and technology roles. And prior to joining Bizarre Voice, he held several leadership roles at top private and public technology companies. Keith is such a great guest for the show because he is passionate about the mental health of his employees. He works to ensure this, this whole idea of, of well-being by practicing empathetic leadership 
through several initiatives that we're going to get into, which I hope brings a lot of, of good ideas about how to improve the mental health of your employees as well. Keith also is a, a great leader. He's open and honest with employees about how he balances the stress of, of being a CEO and how they can too as employees. So in addition to his role at Bizarre Voice, Keith serves on the advisory boards of a number of software companies. He holds a double major in math and computer science from the University of Dublin, Trinity College. And Keith Nilon now joins us. Welcome to the Love and Action Podcast, Keith. Thank you, Marcel. It's great to be here and really appreciate the kind words. Yeah. So let's get this rolling. Uh, before we dive into you know your work and, and how you do things at Bizarre Voice, we always start the show with this. You ready? Sure. What's your story? <laughs> What's my story? That's a good one. Um, well, I guess the 60-second version of that, as I think about just uh, the, the Keith Nealon journey is uh, I'm I'm really a, an inner city kid from, I guess, in the States, what you'd call uh, the projects uh, from the inner city of Dublin. And it's interesting as I look back at it now, when I was in college, I had no idea what I wanted to be and had no self-confidence really about being anything um, at that point in time. So over the last 30 years, though, since then, through some hard work and focus, uh, really good fortune and working with some great people, I ultimately, as you mentioned in the intro, I've had the honor of growing my career and ultimately running several software companies that we had the for good fortune to grow and, and ultimately sell on to larger enterprises. And now I have the privilege of running Bizarre Voice, which is one of the more successful software companies um, in the U.S. as its CEO. Yeah, yeah. So I introduced Bizarre Voice uh, in the in the introduction. So, but I want to hear it in your own words as as the CEO, Keith. I mean, how would you describe the company? Sure. Well, I guess there's two ways to describe Bizarre Voice. There's the way people know us today, and then there's the way we describe ourselves, sort of now and going forward. The easy way, the many way of know us today. And you kind of mentioned, right, you asked your viewers for uh, to leave a, a review on Apple. That's kind of how people know us. So when, when you're buying products online, everybody knows about leaving ratings and reviews at this stage. That's that notion, right, of experiencing and sharing if you're writing the review or reading the review of other people's experiences with a product before you make a purchase. Super effective way of giving customers confidence, right, in making a purchase well, Bizarre Voice was the first software company to offer brands and retailers the ability to provide ratings and reviews capabilities to consumers. And now that's right. That's table stakes. Everybody understands that. But we, because we were first, we've had the good fortune to add over 13,000 brands and retailers like Walmart, Target, Home Depot, Walgreens, L'Oreal, Unilever, Procter & Gamble, Samsung, Sony, so many great brands as our clients. That's kind of how many people know us today. I think that the more modern and current way to think about Bizarre Voice and our mission is really that we help brands and consumers connect, create, and innovate. So what do I mean by that? Well, if you think about just even ratings and reviews, Consumers are giving brands so much insight to describe how they think about the product, 
how they talk about the product and how they feel about the product. And that at scale, we serve over 1.3 billion consumers a month. It was like one seventh of the planet. All that feedback at scale really helps brands and uh, to better market to consumers in language that they're using as they understand how they're talking about products and also to improve their products based on all this customer feedback, right? Which ultimately improves customer satisfaction. So we really say that now we help brands supercharge their commerce efforts by harnessing that voice of the customer or what we call helping customers find their bazaar voice. So think about the ancient bazaar, right? You think Persia, ancient bazaar 2000 years ago, all these customer voices in the marketplace, you could hear it. Well, as we've gone digital with e-commerce and social, you can't hear those voices. Well, we are helping you hear those voices voices digitally so that you can succeed regardless of where you're selling your products, across what channel, or to whom. That's ultimately our mission. It's such a compelling business model. Keith, you know what drew me to you? And, and full disclosure, I mean, I get pitched by PR companies, you know, probably 20, 30 times a day. And, and most of them, uh, you know, I, I hate to say it, but it's it just not a fit with what we're trying to accomplish with my thought leadership. But it's because it's hard to find CEOs who are kind of in the public eye talking about employee mental health, right? When did this become a, a, a thing for you as a CEO? You know, it's it's always been sort of, you know, I talked about my journey from having no confidence, you know, from the college days to now being a CEO where you have to manage your confidence level, right? And you're expected to do so in the public environment and so on. So the journey of uh, improving my own health and well-being has been an ongoing one for many years. But I think like many CEOs, it really went into overdrive since the beginning of the pandemic. And when you think about how the pandemic hit, that created a lot of fear and anxiety for everybody, right? We simply, especially pre-vaccines, right? Um, So that created a lot of fear and anxiety. And then in the US at the same time, it was fairly quickly followed by some very disturbing societal challenges like the issue of the killing of George Floyd and Armored Aubrey. It was a very tough time and people were locked in their homes and couldn't get out and share emotionally. We're social creatures. So I think all leaders had to learn to balance, rebalance their sort of IQ more in favor of EQ, really looking at these challenges that were creating a lot of anxiety and unease. And we had to essentially really just, when when you look at the stats, um, we were starting to read stats that at least, you know, half of US employees, for example, were having mental health issues. So you couldn't ignore it. You simply had to then focus on this as an issue, which is not a natural one for CEOs, but it was essential because we we needed to start talking about this. So we did. I'm curious, some of the challenges that you and, and your industry peers, fellow CEOs of other tech companies are, are experiencing uh, when it comes to employee mental health, maybe your own. Yeah. Well, I mean, the it, it was... You have to learn new skills, right? Because a lot of CEOs, right? It's a very, um, you know, you think strategy and execution, very IQ oriented in terms of what we have to focus on for the most part. 
because we were moving into the more emotional areas, folks had a lot of anxieties. I said, for all the reasons I said, uh, leaders had to adapt, as, as did I, to more of the EQ side of things. And so as we started to realize some of the challenges and the issues, you know, it takes you into uncomfortable areas because I mentioned George Floyd, Ahmed Arbery. CEOs aren't politicians. They don't expect to have to comment on societal issues, but there's a, a point where you couldn't ignore them. And so we sort of had to learn these skills and get comfortable with that. But all of it put together, I mean, you either did it or you didn't. And so we did, given the stats and what we were seeing. And we just started talking about the whole person. And so recognizing we had to talk about mental, physical, and emotional health. It wasn't easy at first, but it was so worth it because employees didn't want to feel alone, right? They wanted to know what their feeling was normal, what they were going through was normal. And so for me, what I wanted to do was I had to get more comfortable being vulnerable. And I've learned over the years, the more vulnerable somebody is, the quicker you connect with others. We're really, as human beings, we connect on an emotional level, especially when we see somebody's being vulnerable. And so I had to get used to that pretty quickly. Uh, but I also, one of the things that I've tried to do is demystify and humanize the CEO, right? There's a lot of perspectives that the CEO is this indestructible business titan, right? That knows everything. And I, I disagree with that. It sort of makes the CEO uh, unapproachable. And it also gives people a little bit of sort of doubt, like, can they become, how far can they go up the corporate ladder? And so I wanted to demystify that. As I said, from my story, if I didn't know what I wanted to do or have any confidence back in college, and I'm now, you know, I guess, reasonably successful CEO, we'll say, if I can do it, anybody can. And so between just that experience and just sharing vulnerability, what I was looking to accomplish was for folks to say, okay, if the CEO is feeling these things and is uncomfortable and is going through ups and downs, it's okay for me to as well. Just acknowledging that and letting people admit that mental health is a challenge is like half the battle, right? You don't have this thing bottled up and then you can talk about it. And there's obviously, you have to be cognizant that, you know, there's very different situations going on among your employee base. So think about like a young married couple in a New York tiny brownstone apartment with limited space and two young lockdown, very different to a couple of folks or, you know, the, the kids that move back with their parents out in the suburbs, plenty of land to walk around. You know, the, the stresses are different. Maybe you'd be stressed moving back with your parents, but you get what I mean. That's not so intense as that kind of family of four in a small New York apartment. And so we had lots of different situations we had to be mindful of that affected people differently. Today's episode is proudly sponsored by Bizarre Voice. Did you know that over 8.5 billion pieces of user-generated content of consumer product goods exist on the Bizarre Voice network? That's more ratings, reviews, and customer photos and videos of products than there are people in the world. Using Bizarre Voice's user-generated content solutions, you can harness this wealth of UGC to elevate awareness and purchase conversions in the minds of 1.3 billion consumers per month. In fact, according to a study conducted by Forrester Consulting, 
the potential ROI that companies like yours may realize using Bazaar Voice is up to 400%. That's a $4 return for every $1 spent on Bazaar Voice's solutions and services. The study also confirms a payback period of less than three months for time to value. Bazaar Voice's shopper engagement platform gives you total control to collect, display, and distribute UGC at a global scale. Inspire confident purchases with ratings and reviews, questions and answers, visual and social content, and more. Visit bazaarvoice.com for more information. Okay, Keith. So let's get into what Bizarre Voice is doing to to help their employees to foster more employee well being and mental health, right? And maybe maybe you can talk to us a little bit about flexible work policies, things of that nature. But I want to really get into the the practical elements and, and get down in the trenches of what you're doing for your employees. So. Yeah, I, I guess just in terms of the the kinds of initiatives that we had, we can talk more about the sort of work from home impact. But but just overall, in general, uh, as I said, we obviously had those conversations about burnout on a regular basis, like monthly as part of our overall all hands or as communications out to the organization. Throughout the pandemic, I, I would send a weekly email that really helped everyone feel connected, right? I called it the weekly roundup. And because we weren't all seeing each other, it was sort of a gathering of all the positive momentum in the business. Whether it was a business story or a personal emotional story, just sort of helping everyone to feel connected and part of a greater whole, that all was not lost, right? Because you had some people that were really challenged with just being at home. We also, uh, you know, we purchase services and, and apps for mental health. Like there's a platform called Modern Health that we use for employees. And that's gone. That's been really helpful for many people. And that ranges from just reading content to literally being able to access a therapist. We had a lot of discussions on, you know, finding those things that fill your cup or fill the soul, not simply occupy the mind. So whether... I use my examples like exercise is a must for me. Meditation is a must. Talking about those best practices, as I mentioned, of work-life integration. And then, you know, even on the business side, much more rigorous focus on reminding everyone what the priorities were. So if they were burned out, always referring back to what we said the priorities were. And if you're not working on those priorities, then knock it off. Like essentially you're you're, you know, give yourself some time back to just focus on the things that are important. And then even some smaller things like, uh, you know, one of the challenges people had in this burnout was just, they're constantly staring into a Zoom screen or team screen back to back all day. And sort of constant eye contact is extremely taxing. But we're in these one hour meetings not because we need to be, but the reality is because they're a default of outlook, right? When you schedule a meeting, it's an hour or you know half hour. They come in half hour chunks, so everybody schedules an hour. I was just like, schedule it for 30 minutes. Schedule it for 45 minutes. Don't succumb to the default. 
And just that 15 minutes back, right, before the next meeting allows you to get through that email that's come in or go take a walk or grab a coffee, but it makes the day more manageable. It's just simple stuff like that, that is just relevant. Sometimes it's simple stuff that works, but we're literally like a slave to the defaults in our calendar. And that's how we're working all day, staring into screens. So a variety of different things. Yeah. And reinforcing those things, uh, you know, down the chain, because people sometimes they have tunnel vision and it's hard to break away, especially when you're in this state of flow. And that's good to be in the state of flow. You produce a lot, a lot more, but also you may not know that you're overworking. Right. And especially in, you know, in Silicon Valley, you overwork is kind of a badge of honor. So now people are starting to pull away from from this myth of, you know, putting in your 12 to 16 hour days, right? Uh, I think that we have seen the shift now to taking care of yourself first so that you can come back to the office refreshed, recharged, and, and ready to take on and be more productive because you're more focused when you're rested and, and taking care of yourself. It's true. And I mean, um, we do have, you know, in terms of coming from the top down and reinforcing We've also like uh, uh, no meeting Thursday, which occurs once a month, um, which and, and managers are expected to enforce that and also not be the problem, right? Because they're the ones more likely calling meetings where literally there's a there's a day a month where there's just no meetings. People can just get stuff done. And you'd be surprised just that one day alone is incredibly um rewarding for employees they feel like they're not sinking behind because they can actually just concentrate in an undisturbed fashion so so we don't i've I've even been told off by my leadership hey you're organizing a meeting with us and no meeting thursday are we committed to this or are we not like you know what you're right i apologize we'll meet on friday (laughs) okay keith I'm curious, why do you think some companies and even industries are are not prioritizing this whole thing with diversity, equity, and inclusion? Because I'm thinking that has so much to do with helping to ensure your employees' well-being and and their mental health state is at an optimum level. I guess... It, it the answer is it depends on the company, right? If you think about really small companies, they can't afford a full-time HR person on staff, let alone an additional resource for D&I. And if you think about the workload of someone in, in, in HR, typically under companies under 100 people have one person in HR and they're keeping the training on time, standard employees, issues related to pay, benefits, any legal issues that may come up, et cetera. And, and it's kind of a full-time job just on that. And that, when you think of companies under 100 people, that's that's 98% of companies right there, right? Not 98% employees, but 98% of companies. Then I think when you get to the larger company or you know midsize and larger, the issue can be different, right? I think you can move from the lack of resources being the issue to in some cases either uh, fear which can be a lack of knowledge and understanding. So not understanding why they should have a program like this and don't understand the benefits. So benefits being greater employee sense of belonging and retention, greater sense of community, employee well-being, more open culture where people are not afraid to speak their minds. 
I think the fear part can be when you when you move on to larger companies is some leaders don't understand those benefits and and I've I've spoken to some leaders and like they're worried that it becomes like an uh, is it an ungovernable program where the company gets distracted by societal issues um that were coming up a lot and and they literally fear having to comment on those events because again the CEOs were not politicians it's not we didn't look to be social commentators and so that really had an impact on a number of leaders that i spoke to and they didn't want it's not that they couldn't comment but they're worried you know when you give your opinion because these are emotional issues you're going to offend someone or multiple people or upset them and so even i've been asked you know at company meetings why do we comment on one issue and not another issue and i literally had to say because it's not our job we're not the news the news comes in all societal issues so i think in the larger orgs it can be if not like lack of resources then lack of understanding and knowledge or maybe fear as really the, the challenge yeah it's interesting and th- thanks for by the way touching on both the the small business and the large corporate giant and and the obstacles that they face uh, to get in the way of of DEI. So I want to bring this to the bizarre voice level, okay? I mean, how do you ensure that DEI is something that your employees are are excited about? For us, I mean, we've had a DEI program now for about two years. And I would say there's, a, there's probably a couple of components to that. Uh, to get them excited, one is for those that are just regular employees that are um, hearing about the program. You obviously want to educate them on what the program is, what it's intended to be, what it could be, and invite them to participate in feedback around the vision that you have for for DNI. And and so they understand the why. It's not a hard sell because everybody is like in modern workplace. People are very conscious of and all want a workplace of greater diversity. But what we did was we recruited a team of employees that were had passion around this so that there was a DEI committee or really a task force, as we call it, that they actually drive the vision, set the agenda and the content. So we do have leadership involved, but in more of a guiding collaboration than a driving approach. And and that shows employees like our support that it's important to us. And it also allows like leaders and managers to show employees causes that they're interested in. So there are many aspects to DNI. We have many employee resource groups for different employee subcommunities, whether that's you know, uh black employees, Asian employees, non-binary employees, LGBTQ folks with elderly parents, there's all sorts of different ERGs and and people can select into those. And I think that's that's been we really well received. We also we were a little nervous about it, but during this time started with George Floyd or whatever, we started a series called Uncomfortable Conversations, which is really allowing employees to speak to their experience, like as a black person, as an Asian person. Uh, as examples, where what they experienced in life being of that color or race, and and there were just panels, right, with, with Q and A, but they were super emotional, super engaging, 
uh, you know, there were points where you'd have employees in tears, not necessarily those speaking, but the empathy from the audience listening to others' unfortunate experience just because of race, that it was so engaging, as I said, so vulnerable of the speakers that um, they're, they're some of the best-ranked events we've had and very well-received, and it's just something employees look forward to. And then I guess also for me, I've also been fortunate enough in that I, I write articles for Forbes magazine. One of them was related to DEI, and it just sort of reinforces for employees that this is important to us. And so they know that we're committed to it. That means a lot, right? It's not just words, it's actions. Um, and so that helps with the enthusiasm. So I think sort of being employee owned and driven, being educated on why we're doing this, and then seeing that leadership cares and there's action there, not just words, maintains that level of interest and excitement. That's great. Keith, you've already mentioned um, the critical need for creating these conversations. And sometimes we have to kind of have hard conversations to raise awareness around tough issues, you know, around DEI. I want to bring this, though, to the the well-being front, because a lot of leaders, especially CEOs, they don't have an understanding of how to communicate or how to start these conversations across the enterprise or across different levels and tiers of the organization. So speak to your peers right now, Keith, if you will. How can CEOs drive well-being conversations, you know, from the top down, really because we want to be able to, you mentioned, get employees enthusiastic and engaged in the discussion. We want to actually encourage our employees to to prioritize their own mental health, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how can CEOs drive this from the top down? Um, I think, you, you know, you have to, it can't just come out of nowhere, right? You have to normalize this issue of mental health and well-being and bring it into everyday conversation. So as I said from earlier, right, when we we're looking, hearing from employees, seeing surveys, just generally managers telling us what was going on and then seeing the stats, we just realized we had to acknowledge these challenges of mental health and burnout and addressed it. The way we did it is we dressed it in, in many all hands. So literally bring up the topic and then talk to folks. Like I said, for me, I talked about how I was feeling, maybe some of the challenges I had. Um, but I also, I would communicate to folks about tools that I had personally had in my toolbox to manage stress, right? Like, so I talked about work-life integration as a way of thinking about work and life, but I also, I, I would help with, you know, just best practices, like saying, you know, helping people realize like there's events don't cause stress, how we process events cause stress. And, and that's a tool that I've used. So when you can separate the event from how you choose to process it, or I'm starting to experience stress, but recognize it and stand back from it, that's kind of a tool to help you say, okay, I can see it happening, but before I start to feel it, I can react in a different way. So I would, I would encourage any leaders to also talk about, because as leaders, we've learned more tools, right? We have more because we've had more responsibility, we've had to find tools. 
So I would say normalizing the issues, speaking frequently, delivering lessons from your own toolbox. And as I said, people will have different needs at different rates in different regions. So having that investing in that platform, it's something we could afford to do relatively inexpensive for the return. But I think investing in a platform for mental health and well-being is a good idea. Even, you know, we offered folks subscription to meditation apps, things like that. Things like, as I said, the no meeting Thursdays is a way to to help with that and make sure that people see that that's it, it's a important and a focus for the company that folks get some downtime. There's a lot of different ways you can do it, but again, if if folks see the CEO as human and not superhuman, there's less fear about admitting the issues. And once there's sunlight on an issue, you feel better, right? So once it's out in the open, you can deal with it and. And more importantly, I guess, to when your leaders see you driving the conversation, they become more open and more vulnerable with their teams. And their teams then become more vulnerable and open with leadership because it's not a stigma on me as a person employee to say, I'm struggling. You've made that okay. That in itself is a huge relief. Here's what I love about what you're doing is that you, as the CEO of a, of a global organization, are taking the initiative to model the behaviors that you want to see in your employees. You talked about vulnerability already. You are modeling vulnerability. You're modeling openness. You're basically stepping out in front of the organization to say, hey, I struggle with it just as you do. And, and I need to prioritize my own mental health, and so should you. But it starts with you, Keith, uh, and, and you're doing that. And I wish that more CEOs would step into that, that role model you know, position to be able to stand in front of, of, of your employees to say, hey, you know what? Um, I'm a human just like the rest of you, and I struggle with those things too. And here's what I'm doing differently. You know, you mentioned the, your toolbox, right? Share the toolbox. <laughs> I think it's changing. You know, 10 years ago, there was none of this conversation. Mental health, mental well-being, meditation, mindfulness in the workplace, your podcast, right? These things are like a garden that's beginning to grow, right? And uh and folks can take advantage of that. And it, it will change. The rate at which it changes, obviously, is up to each leader. But And it's not necessarily the comfort zone for most folks because we think about IQ and strategy and execution versus mental health, well-being, and culture. But uh, they're equally important and, and perhaps even more so the EQ side of things. So, yeah, I think uh, I, I agree with everything you said, uh, but it is changing. Yeah, so let's talk about um, culture. You know, tech companies now are primarily working remotely, just as you guys are primarily. This is an interesting discussion here because there are experts on on both sides of this argument that say that you know you can't drive strong company culture when teams are dispersed and working remotely now. So, what's your take on that? Well, I guess there's culture and connection. Right, which I think is behind what you're saying is that feeling of connection in a in a remote workplace. So, you know, from a connection standpoint, and which feeds into obviously the culture, um, I would say we do a whole bunch of things. Um, some of these 
existed pre-pandemic. Some of them we invented during the pandemic. But once a month, we have an all-company, uh, all-hands, we call it the company gong. And we we select, you know, important topics from across the business that we want to talk about. And that can range from a DNI initiative to how we did in the last fiscal quarter to some upcoming IT initiatives. It ranges across the board. But so we have the company all hands once a month. Every department has a monthly departmental gong, which is their all hands for their department. So that's obvious. Those are well attended. Um, we've started to do in-office events post-pandemic. Mixed results, I would say, because people really love working from home. Um, even though even throwing in the free food and booze doesn't necessarily work. <laughs> like um, and that's not a reflection on us. It's just the choice that people are making is still very productive. Those ERGs, the employee resource groups for sub-communities, are really effective and um, you know, are sort of their own individual communities that really connect and have a sense of belonging. Yeah. Yeah. We have a culture crew, which we have established, which is, again, is employee led organ uh, group that really focus on activities to drive culture. We like to have fun. So there's literally and everybody's using Slack. One of our Slack channels is run by the sales org, but they literally make fun of each other. Uh, the leadership of the company, uh, other departments, and it's taken in good spirit, right? Uh, that's what it's intended to be. So it's just to be able to not take life too seriously. We have within the Revenue Org training Tuesdays, which so everybody knows there's a get together on Tuesdays to learn something new. And all of those things sort of drive connection. And on the culture side, that is a lot of what the connection is a huge part of the culture Culture is also the, you know, the operationalizing of your values. One exactly. of those have being stronger together, that the team is more important than the individual. So calling out those examples at the monthly all hands of employees that have exhibited the stronger together value best in the company is something we acknowledge um, every month and make sure that there's prizes, you know, that folks win for for being uh, exhibitors of company values. Those are some of the, some of the things, but there's many of them. I'm sure there's a bunch of I've forgotten as well, or I'm not even aware of. I am so glad you mentioned values. Hey, this is how I would define culture. It's basically living out your shared values at work and creating community. To me, when you have those two things at play at a high level, you have an awesome company culture, whether it's in-person or hybrid or remotely. So it sounds like you guys are doing that well. I hope so. Well, Keith, as we wind down here, we have a tradition on the show to ask our guests the leadership love question. So in your own words, I mean, how do we as leaders, managers, and CEOs lead with practical and actionable love day in and day out? You know, I would actually sort of take this, I would say two things here, probably. They say people join companies, but leave managers. So the experience employees have with their manager is the most important thing. And so I can't be with everyone every day, right? We've got about 1,300 employees across the globe. But what I can do is find leaders that care, that have empathy, are high impact, low politic kind of leaders 
and reflect my values and our values about people. You know, my view, I, I like to quote our Andrew Carnegie, an organization is nothing more than the collective capacity of its people to create value. It's a great So to me, I would say that the better the people you bring in, the more value you create. But better people includes better and more empathetic leaders. So I can make it my job to find the best leaders um, for the company. They, in turn, exhibiting those values, bring in similar people, right, all the way down the chain. So the leadership of the company might sound a little cheesy, but the leadership of the company is a reflection of that love, if you will, that I I want to bring into the organization. And those leaders are showing employees someone that's worth emulating. So as they grow their careers, they become that type of servant leader themselves. Thereby, we're growing more caring and compassionate, high EQ leaders along the way. So that's one way I'd answer it. But the other way, just for me, is I try and remain, as I said, uh, an open door, very, very approachable. So I can really hear from employees what's going on in their world. So as I walk the halls, it's not like people are like, oh, that's the CEO, don't talk to them. They feel very comfortable coming up and saying hello. And I try and, you know, that's helpful for me. That that allows me to stay connected and really hear what's going on in the organization. Yeah, yeah. Well, before we bring it home, you know, we have so many listeners that are in the HR space and so many are actual CEOs themselves. So I'd love to help our listeners find out more about how your business can help theirs. I mean, what do you got going on right now that we should know about? We just ran our Bizarre Voice World Summit, which was attended by about 5,000 attendees, um, customers, and uh, mostly customers and prospective customers. Um, A lot of the content that we produced for that, if you're in, you know, if you're a brand or a retailer, a lot of that content is fantastic and was is up on our website at bizarrevoice.com. So I would suggest taking a look on there and free content hopefully can help you in some way. And we'd love to talk to you more about what you're up to if you need help supercharging your e-commerce or your commerce initiatives. We bring it home with two questions as we do with every guest. Personally, Keith, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you'd like us to know? Well, you know, probably the best thing I've done as I reflect on my life is have two kids, Luca and River, who are 17 and 14. And Luca is off to college in six months, and we're already struggling with that notion. You, you know your kids need to fly the coop, but there's a lot of love in the Neelan household, and it kind of feels right now like we're about to lose a limb, which sounds a little melodramatic, but it probably tells you that's where we're at in the emotional processing of this issue right now. Um, we, we're very happy for him. We're excited about the next chapter, but that is tugging right now a little bit. Yeah. Finally, Keith, you close us out your way, maybe with a key takeaway or something to keep us inspired. Well, look, I really love what you're doing here and the message you're bringing to leaders and the market about this integration, right, of of love and empathy with work. Um, so since, you know, that is the topic, I would say if I had a message, it's it start with love for yourself, right? I, I had a I had a speaker, we had a speaker in recently to teach our leaders on transforming their mindset. And she said that over 80% of our thoughts as humans are negative self-talk, believe it or not. We're just pre-wired that way. 
So I, I would say, you know, assuming like that's the case for everyone, remember when these happen that they're just thoughts. They're not real. They're just thoughts. Right? They're made up in within our head. So be good to yourself. Remember when you hear those thoughts, they're not real, and go about and enjoy the day. When we're kind to ourselves, we are more inspired. And when we're inspired, we are more inspiring. Yeah. So I would leave you with that thought. Well, it is my hope that everything that you have said right now will be an inspiration for other people because we need more CEOs like Keith Nealon. We need to replicate people like you a thousand times over, especially in this day and age with so much suffering and burnout in the world going on. So I truly appreciate all of your insights and, and what you're doing at Bizarre Voice. Thanks, Marcel. It's It's been a great pleasure. I've enjoyed it very much. Very good. So have I. Keith, if anyone wants to, you know, get in touch with you and find out more about you, how, how did they connect with you? Sure. Uh, you can get me at keith.neelon, N-E-A-L-O-N, at bizarrevoice.com. Uh, it's probably the best way. Or uh, Twitter, at Keith Neelan. That wraps it up, folks. Thank you, Love and Action Tribe, for joining the conversation today. And you can continue the conversation and, and comment on this episode with hashtag Love in Action Podcast and look for my show notes on my website. I'm going to include Keith's contact info and all of the bizarre voice info at marcelschwantes.com. A big thank you to our sponsor, Bizarre Voice, for making this episode possible. You know, today, brand trust is at an all-time low. When considering a product, Consumers would much rather hear about it from their peers instead of the companies trying to sell it to them. Check out BizarreVoice.com to learn more about how your brand or retail website can leverage the voice of your customers. Thank you for listening to the Love in Action podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and watch your business grow.